Dominique Morisot is a prominent force in the American theater scene whose work is bringing the richness and complexity of the black American experience into the spotlight. Morisot got her start as a performance poet in her hometown Detroit and began writing while she was studying acting at the University of Michigan. Her writing career flourished after moving to New York City and she is now one of America's most produced playwrights with a rapidly expanding list of prestigious awards, honors, and fellowships to her name. Marisol is a co-producer for the hit Showtime series, Shameless, and has written a substantial body of plays, including her award-winning trilogy, The Detroit Project. Dominique Moriso. Yes. Welcome to Theater Corner. We are so privileged to have you here. Awesome. And thank you for braving the traffic here in Los <laughs> Angeles to, to, to come join us here in Theater Corner. Uh, really appreciate it. And, uh, and I know there's some viewers that are recognizing this right away that you are not wearing hoop earrings. <laughs> I know it's been spotted. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you could tell us what why this rare moment that you're not wearing hoop earrings. Well, today is 421, and that is the anniversary of Prince's death, so uh, I will take off my hoops for Prince. There we go. Prince deserves his own <laughs> earrings, so this is an honor of the late, great purple one. Okay, very. that's, that's a very good reason. Yeah. Wow, it's been a year already. That's, that's right. A, it's unbelievable. So uh, here in Theater Corner, we would, uh, since we have you here, it's, and it's quite an honor, uh, let's start talking about uh, your writing, which okay. is which is uh, quite phenomenal. Thank uh, you. <laughs> because it really is, and uh, we know writers have their own unique style and such. Uh, maybe you could tell us uh, about your crea the creative process behind your trilogy uh, that you that you wrote about Detroit. Okay. Um, absolutely. You know, I uh, started writing um, a three-play cycle about my hometown, because I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, well, about, it must have been like seven, eight years ago now that I was uh, doing a study of Pearl Clegg's work. And, you know, her, Pearl Clegg's, her father, Albert Clegg, was a reverend in, in, in Detroit, Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, but so she's a writer. She's a playwright, a novelist, essayist from Detroit. And I was reading her work as an actor, and um, we were studying her plays back to back, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is so amazing to see a, someone's body of work and to, to learn their voice and, and their, what's important to them through their body of work. So I was very excited to, to learn about her through her work mm -hmm. and also to see how much she really wrote the rhythm and blues of the way that black women speak. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't quite experienced enough work that had done that for me. So I was moved by her. So then I took it upon myself. I'm going to try again. I'm going to read someone else's body of work. And I, I went to August Wilson. And I was familiar with August's work, obviously, uh, as a theater artist. But I had never read his plays back to back. Mm -hmm. And when I did, I got really inspired by how much... Uh, how much he captured the rhythm and blues and the jazz of the way uh, of his Pittsburgh community. And I thought, man, when people from Pittsburgh see this man's work, they must feel so affirmed and valuable 
and um, and immortalized in his right. writing. And I want to do that for Detroit. Um, also, because Detroit has a very if you leave out the writers and the the poets and the musicians from the city, the people you're left with who are writing about the city are journalists. Mm. And they're not always writing about us favorably or fairly or with love. And so I thought Detroit needs some, some homegrown narrators to continue to tell the story of who the people really are. And so that's what inspired me to want to wanna write three plays that take place in three particular eras that I think change the landscape of our city. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Give it to the city. And so these three plays take place in the distant past and mm -hmm. the not so distant past, mm -hmm. but it still seems to resonate with the present. Uh, in, in writing these plays, how, what, how, would you, how did you hope that it would uh, touch or challenge your audiences? You know, I, I, I honestly, at first, I mean, I, I didn't actually write from a perspective of, of really thinking about audience. I actually mm -hmm. wrote from a perspective of thinking about uh, the actual people that I wanted to explore. Mm -hmm. So it, it started from the inside out, I guess, in a way. Um, me wanting to learn about my history myself, wanting to know, you know, I'd heard about Detroit 1949. You know, there, there was this uh, area of Detroit called Paradise Valley. And, you know, if you're young and your, your grandparents lived through that era. And so I'd heard about it, but I didn't know much about it. So it started from me wanting to learn about my city. Uh, and I think that that, in the same thing with the 1967 rebellion riots that happened where uh, I had heard like that our city had riots, but most of us in my generation didn't know anything about right. it. And so we wanted to, I just wanted to learn about it. Like what happened during that time period? I didn't know that that play would become a current play, even uh, though it's about 1967. Right. You know, um, I think that, that speaks a lot more to how society has not progressed and things that have not been addressed fully more than it speaks to anything about me as a writer, you know. Uh, but in, in, but you know, I'm happy to have my work be relevant and, and to be current um, on some level. I'm happy that something I wrote still speaks to something that's happening uh, that can bring some sort of understanding and, you know, get some more social dialogue around it. Um, and with the third play, The Auto Industry, Again, I'm someone who, I grew up not in the auto industry, but curious about it and the world of it. And I wanted to see that world on stage. I, I like to see things on stage that I haven't ever seen before. Mm. So I go, oh my gosh, I want to see, like, what's a Detroit 1967 red light basement party? Like, I want to know <laughs> what that looks like on a stage, you know? Right. And I felt the same way about a factory. I said, I've never seen, like, an auto industry, a factory on stage. And even though Skeleton Crew doesn't necessarily bring the factory in terms of, like, you're not seeing people working the line per se. You're, you're seeing reflections of it, but we're in the break room, a fictional break room of a factory, mm -hmm. so that you can see the workers coming in and out of work and, and hear their day-to-day -day at work. Like, what's those conversations? What are those, like, what we call the... Um, the water cooler, water cooler yes. conversations, <laughs> like what are those? And right. I want to see that happening at the factory. Uh, so, I, so what I hope the audience now is, the audience has become the next step for me. Like when I'm writing the work, what do audiences get to see? And I hope that they just get to uh, connect to the humanity of the characters and that they are as just as fascinated and fall just as in love with these characters as I have.
That's what hope. And I had the uh, pleasure of, of, of seeing uh, Skeleton Crew at uh, opening night at the Globe. And, and, and that was something that I was thinking about, you know, because, you know, all of these families uh, mm-hmm. losing jobs at like the coal mines, uh, just going empty, you That's know. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it certainly resonates uh, today. Yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. We just uh, we don't learn. We keep repeating. That's um, right. But with this beautiful writing that you do, you 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 you've garnered a, a long list of awards and, 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 and fellowships, and, and just to name a couple. I mean, uh, you're a two-time NAACP Image Award recipient, and uh, Edward M. Kennedy Pri- Prize for Drama, and you were honored with from the C- city of Detroit. You were honored with the Spirit of Detroit Award. Yeah. Is is there is there any particular award that that kind of uh, had a little bit more meaning for you than, than any any others? Uh, I, I know it's a, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to uh, you know say anything bad about yeah, any no. other particular award, but anyone that has a kind of a, a special sense to it, perhaps you know. Well, and I do mean this. They all do in different stages of my life. Right. Right. Like so, the NAACP Image Awards. Those were so early in my playwriting career. That was when I was, you know, in school, mm-hmm. and I was I was being honored as a playwright at the University of Michigan. So, that was affirming to know that I was speaking beyond my theater department. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think when when it comes, I'm just naming the ones that you've named, but the uh, Edward M. Kennedy Prize Award. That was very special to me because. It came at a time when um, Detroit 67, my play, had already been off-Broadway and had done what it had done, and it had gotten the reviews that it had gotten, and it somehow the Edward M. Kennedy Prize breathed new life into my play. And mm-hmm. what made it so significant to me is, you know, I've been through ups and downs with Detroit 67 as a production and getting the play to get the life that it deserved outside of New York. and. What that that award did was say that it was it was first of all it was chosen by some of the best playwrights in the business. Wow. They are on the committee of the Kennedy Prize, mm. and so to have my fellow esteemed writers right. um, say this is the play that is <laughs> the one that we want to honor felt like I was being honored by my peers, Correct, really. Yeah. Um, and that I was being honored by the Kennedy family. And I was being honored by historians that said that I got my play right, that I got this wow. error correct. So that was a big deal for me. Um, and the Spirit of Detroit Award, I mean, I my city gave me an award. You know, that's <laughs> awesome. Right, right, right. <laughs> you're you're always, you know, you know, a prophet is always the last to be honored at home. So, you know what mm. I mean? So you're always like, oh, I just everyone goes out or whatever that statement is. I'm not sure that's the, the exact uh, uh, idiom, but whatever that idiom is that says that you're last to be loved in your hometown. Mm. It feels great to finally be honored in my hometown. But <laughs> well, they also say, don't forget where you came from. How, it's, not, right. it's impossible to forget where you came from now yeah. with, with such an esteemed award. That's, uh, yeah. that's beautiful. And so here at Theater Corner, we always discuss uh, diversity and inclusion. Sure. And, and I understand uh, one, of your first, one of your first loves it's, is acting, uh, but yeah. it was also writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I understand perhaps you found the, the opportunities perhaps sparse and uninspired, perhaps. Um, so I was wondering, uh, what would you consider some of the most significant challenges for, for people of color, more, more specifically uh, women of color, 
in the theater scene today? Uh, that's a long, uh, <laughs> there's a long answer to that that would take up the entire, probably the rest of this interview. Right. But what I, what I could say in brief, uh, if there's a way to be brief about this, you know, at, there's a, at the same time that there are women of color with making more strides than we've made, you know, because that'll always be put out, that there mm. are women of color and black women particularly, playwrights who are getting their moment in the sun, if you right. will. But then there's something that happens where one of us only gets a moment at a time. Or, uh, you know, if this person's play went to Broadway, then that person's play can't go to Broadway because it's as if we cancel each other out mm. as women. Um, so there's that concern. Um, I think that we're represented sometimes as, as stories, but we're always isolated from the communities that we come from, so we're plucked. I call it. We get we get cherry picked. We get <laughs> right. plucked away, okay. and uh, and and leave a whole bunch of the rest behind. You know, and I think that that's a concern that I have um, as an artist. That I want to see more and more women of color, you know, writers become celebrated and studied in school. So I think we're I think we're still looking at parody in theater. You know, where how often our plays get produced as opposed to our male counterparts or our mm -hmm. white male counterparts. I think we're also looking at um, what kind of roles we can, ha we can have beyond the stage. So where are we behind the scenes? There you go. That's, um, yeah. Where are we in the artistic directorships? You right, know, that right. is extremely limited. Where are we, are, are we involved in actually producing the work so that we get to be selectors of the work that we're seeing on the stage? And that's, that's where the other half of the big power comes from. Mm. And I think we're not seeing parity there at all. And so, uh, you know, we're on the front lines a little bit. You know, you put play, women playwrights and women of color playwrights in your seasons, you sprinkle us in and, and it, it makes the theater look good, but it's not matching the entire structure of the theater. I, I hear you know? you. Um, and so I think that we have a ways to go with that kind of pushing. Um, and then in the, in the reviewing circuit, I mean, the people who get to knight the plays and people who get to sanction the plays, we're mm. all, women of color are often under white male gaze with mm. our work. And so that just leads to a very um, imbalanced, you know, worldview perspective about our work being written. That's just true. And that needs to shift, mm. you know, so. Um, so do you, do you find uh, the theater to be a uniquely powerful uh, driver of social change? Oh, of course, I, I absolutely do. And I mean, it's funny because, you know, you asked me, I think before, when we were off mm. camera about how my play cycle about Detroit, for instance, has become, even though there are plays about the past, they've all become sort of current. Yes. Um, and I think that that's true pretty much of, I, I say all plays are now, all plays are about now right now, you know, because you can take a play, you know, you know, you can take, you know, uh, Arthur Miller play or August Wilson. Well, I just saw Jitney on Broadway, and that was taking place in the 70s. Right. And, like, or I just, or even more, I saw Ma Rainey's Black Bottom at Center Theater Group last year. Mm -hmm. And I think that play takes place in the 30s. Right. <laughs> and it was like they were talking to us, like, Certainly. right now. I say all plays are about right now. Right. Um, because their art is important to start dialogue and 
so many of the things that people have been talking about and been dealing with socially, economically, um, in terms of relationship between each other, uh, in terms of race and gender. These things are not, I mean, they're very unevolved in some ways. As, as much as they have evolved in other ways, we, we find ourselves taking some steps backwards when we try to move forward. And so it makes the art and plays and theater extremely relevant and extremely um, influential mm -hmm. in terms of how shaping our social thought and in terms of how we start to, you know, make progress, social progress. So I absolutely think theater is urgent with social change. Um, and I don't even see how we can exist or have real great change without the arts. So, right, you know, right. so absolutely. That's true. Yeah. So you've been in L.A. for about three years or uh -huh. so now. Yeah. And uh, how Two and a half. <laughs> two and a half. How is that? Uh, how is that? Wearing on you, or wearing on you in the sense of clothing. I mean, it's uh, how are you? How are you? How are you uh, fitting in with LA? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure that I fit in. To, I'm not sure what fitting into LA means yet. You know, I'm. I. It's a different place mm -hmm. than New York. I'm very much a Detroit, New York, Brooklyn girl okay. in Los Angeles now. Uh, um, there are things that I really do love about, I think what native Los Angeles, what they love about L.A., you know, uh, is what I love, you know, mm. when I'm out and about with people who grew up here, the things that they are in love with about, like, you know, South Los Angeles, for instance, I love about it, okay. you know. Um, I'm still learning about the other things. Well, the weather's it's an a interesting big change. Bag. Yeah, well, the weather's the weather's the weather, but that's like that's obvious. You know, the weather's the obvious thing. I think. I mean, it definitely is a, ba a major change, and it changes disposition. I think. Mm. You know, it's easier. In New York, when I'm agitated and I'm setting them down in the dumps, and then it's also like you know below zero outside. Mm. That does nothing to help. <laughs> um, out here, I'm agitated. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> There's the beach. There you go. You know? There's a mountain, which I spent a lot of time. My husband is a music artist. I'm a hip-hop artist, and sometimes he'll be in, the, he was in New York when I was out here during the beginning of my move here. And he would call me often and be like, where are you? And I'd be like, I'm in the mountains. <laughs> and he was like, you turned into a mountain woman. Yeah. You know? like, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. That's where to be. <laughs> right, right. You know? um, so, but we, he and I have become mountain men and women where we'll just go there. Mm. So it's, it, it has changed. I think the ability to be around nature. There you go. Uh, so that's great. And that's what appeals to California, Southern Absolutely. California, to me. That's uh, very much so. But what has you out here is you're you're you are the co-producer. Yeah. Uh, for a Showtime uh, series called Shameless. Absolutely. Uh, what's what's that experience like? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a ball of fun. Ah, I mean, that's Shameless good is. Um, Shameless is a show that is uh, pushes the boundaries. It certainly does. Not just social boundaries, but your own personal, like, prudishness. It pushes the boundaries <laughs> of your prudishness. Uh. And... Uh, <laughs> will take a writer like me and, uh, you know, really push me outside of my comfort zone mm. and outside of the box, obviously. And so um, it's been a delight for me. It was a scary delight for me in the beginning. Um, but this is my third season on Shameless, and I'm, I love the writers in the room. They're really smart people that I've learned a lot from, and I have 
crossed into the boundaries of television, which is a very different thing from theater, mm-hmm. and uh, was terrifying for me. And there's also, but you know, with television, obviously, um, there's a, 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 a things about racial parity and gender par- gender parity. I mean, that becomes really illuminated out here because uh. Hollywood is a. I think theater likes to think of itself as progressive in many ways. That. Um, more elevated in some ways, you know. Uh, even though I don't think so, I think it has a lot of similarities to Hollywood. But I, I, it would not think so of itself, you know. <laughs> uh, but Hollywood is definitely a little more um, committed to its old guard and its old ways, you know. And so I think that it takes a little bit more effort out here to push boundary. Whereas in theater, I think people like the exciting idea of pushing boundary, you know, uh, yeah. um, in terms of calling out things. Here at Hollywood is a little harder, and so it's, it just becomes tougher to navigate. So it's a new hat for me to wear, is to figure out how to, what kind of person, the person I've become in theater, real easy, people know what I stand for in theater, <laughs> that's its own right. thing. How do I bring that person into Hollywood, and what does that mean for me as a Hollywood artist? That's something I'm still navigating and trying to figure out. Transition yeah. is still in motion there. That's right. So. Theater Corner audiences, they're sitting on the edge of their seats to know what you're working on right now. What are you writing now? Is it, or is that something that you can share? Um, well, I, can, I mean, I can share things that I have. I have a couple of things that are about to go up, which is uh, I've written a play, uh, Pipeline, and uh, it is about, in, in large ways, it's about the school-to-prison pipeline. Oh, okay. In small ways, it's about a, a single mother who works in a, a public school and sends her teenage son to private school and when an incident happens in that private school that threatens him with expulsion and potential uh, charges, you know, she has to figure out and reconcile with her choices as how she's chosen to send him to the school and what that means for him mm-hmm. and how she can save him from the school to prison pipeline. Um, and so that play I'm excited about because I care very much about education, and uh, I'm a former educator. I I was raised by uh, a teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, my mother was a teacher for 40 years, so I'm really excited to, to delve into that conversation. And especially because we have a, you know, a lot of stuff has gone on around the Secretary of Education that we have yes, now. Yes, that's mm-hmm. right. And so I'm looking forward to that <laughs> being a part of the conversation that happens around my play. Uh, and being able to tap into that with the audience is really exciting to me. And then I'm working on a musical, and uh, it is called Ain't Too Proud, mm. and it's about uh, The Temptations. All right. And so it's a musical with all of the music of The Temptations, and I'm really, I've been working with uh, Otis Williams as, you know, the the last remaining temp of the, you know, classic five. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I've been working with him and his camp and, and Des McEnough, a director who did Jersey Boys, and um, an amazing creative team, and we're putting together this musical. So, Wow. So I'm looking exciting. forward to that. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm about to take a trip to Berkeley. Yeah, <laughs> come to Berkeley, you know, or get so. us back to New York, you oh, know. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. the goal. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So... You are phenomenal. You're a sensation. I'm so incredibly proud of what you're doing and, and, and the work you're doing, and I, I can't say that enough. And, and, I, and I appreciate you again for, for coming here to grace 
the chairs here at Theater Corner. <laughs> And uh, I know you gotta you gotta get back to things. You're you're very busy, but uh, I really appreciate you. Thank you appreciate for having you me. <laughs> I'm right. very excited to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you too. And thank you, viewers, for for stopping here in Theater Corner. And we'll see you on the next episode. And take care.